Welcome to FinTech Fridays. Oh yeah! It's a weekly podcast brought to you by the National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada and Partners. Covering all things FinTech, blockchain, P2P, AI, and alternative finance. Hello, everyone. It's Craig Asano, the founder and CEO of NCFA Canada, welcoming you to episode 42 of FinTech Fridays, a weekly podcast brought to you by NCFA and Partners, where we sit down with incredible people in the FinTech and funding community, talk about everything under the sun, product innovation, developments, challenges. We get deep down and personal with the founders that are changing the future of financial services in Canada and around the globe. We're super excited to welcome our guest today, Rim Cherkani, the CEO and co-founder of Wallow to the show. Welcome. Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Craig. Happy to be here. So let's get started. I think the plan this afternoon, which is becoming a bit of a, a framework here, is let's first you know, talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Then we're going to dig into Wallow itself and the emerging trends in, in the financial education space and then we're going to finish with a round of speed questions for some fun. So how does that sound like for, for a plan for the next 45 minutes or so? Sounds like a great plan. Let's get started. Okay. So, well, let's just, um, can you first tell us a little bit about your, yourself and your entre entrepreneurial journey? Mm -hmm. Just to uh, open up the connection with the listeners. Let's, let's learn a little bit about Rim Charkhani. Yeah. So, um Born and raised in Morocco, uh, I come from a, an entrepreneurial family, but my parents, grandparents were all entrepreneurs. So I kind of always knew I, I, I had to, I wanted to become an entrepreneur someday. Um, left, left Morocco when I was 18, went to, 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 uh, to study in France, studied math, business, and immigrated to Canada. Uh, after my, my, my master's, I went to consulting. So um, I wasn't, I wasn't feeling ready to start my entrepreneurial journey after, after my studies, but uh, I thought consulting was a great way to learn and be, be ready to, 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 to succeed in business. Uh, spent over five years working at KPMG in, in strategy consulting, uh, here in Canada. I went to Australia as well, to KPMG Australia, where I was more working on the digital consultant side. So I, I always had this, this, uh, deep interest in technology, new tech, and, and, and customer experience in general. I've, I've consulted a, for a lot of clients in financial services as well, which brought me to my next, my next uh, job, which was uh, working in strategy at Desjardins, which is uh, uh, one of the, the key financial institutions here in Quebec. Um, and uh, again, I was just curious to know what was well, how does it work from the inside? Like, how does a bank work from the inside? What, what do, do the operations look like? What's the, the, how do you actually execute on the strategies the consultants tell you to do? So uh, that was all like, uh, uh, during all these years, I, I was having multiple, you know, ideas of businesses I could start, but never really got to, to do something, something about it until one day I just decided to, to, uh, to uh, take the leap and, you know, uh, solve a problem that, that was dear to me and that uh, I personally experienced growing up. Um, and so, yeah, that's how uh, uh, over a year ago now, uh, I started Wallow with, with uh, my co-founders. 
and uh, one one year and and so uh, in the adventure like a pretty pretty happy uh, with uh, the decision to kind of leave corporate and, and start my own business that was something that I always wanted to do and so far it's been a a great uh, a great ride. It's amazing. Uh, we we sort of started to hear the, the the similar stories, you know, strategy management consulting firms, uh, very bright folks working for the largest companies that are advising companies. But as an entrepreneur, someone coming from an entrepreneurial family uh, with all that international experience, which jumped out when when you were talking. I mean, you talked about going to school in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been out in Australia. What what do you think is it that do, do you think there's there's a, an affinity for anyone who has had more exposure for example internationally I just want to get more into you know how you made the decision or was it everybody at, at Desjardins or you know uh, do you envision everyone at a consulting firm thinking you know boy I'd love to to actually launch your own company and then you know further to that how did you handle the risk internally and make that decision or was it a very simple thing for you? Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's for everybody for sure. I think it's, uh, it's both a personality trait. It's something that, that was, you know, uh, very natural for me. Um, and at the same time, in terms of risk, you mentioned risk. Uh, some people are more risk averse than others. And, I see myself rather as a risk taker. I, I think that nothing comes to you in life if you don't take some risks. Uh, and in my case, it was, it was a, you know, for sure it was a risk because, you know, I was leaving a uh, well-paying job stability and, and uh, going into some adventure that, that didn't have any, you know, didn't have any revenue for, for a long time. And, um, it was, it was certainly a risk, but it was a calculated risk. You know, I, 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 I kind of knew how much I needed <laughs> to, to be able to survive, uh, uh, to be able to live during a certain period of time. And I set myself some objectives and some deadlines. Um, I also, uh, think that it's the earlier you take the risk, it's probably the, the easiest, the easier it is. Um, I know that I have some friends who are a little bit more advanced in, in their careers, who are, for example, partners at consulting firms and, and who have, you know, when you have a mortgage for like m- millions of dollars for a house, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to leave my job and, and uh, uh, you know, who's going to pay the mortgage. So I think there is, there is, it was a step in my life where I still didn't have too much to lose in terms of of, uh, of stability, but at the same time, uh, I knew that I had to do it now or otherwise it might be just too late. Uh, so in terms of risk, it's a calculation, I think. And in terms of personality, it's, it's just read, readiness and, uh, you, know, uh, you know, what you really want in life and what kind of life you're, you're, you're looking to have, what, what kind of impact you're looking to, to, uh, to achieve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. We, we often hear, you know, on the show and among startup circles that let's, let's take the risk. There's a sweet spot in your life when 
you, you have less to lose. You, you can live off ramen noodles, for example, which brought up the mm -hmm. other day. Um, but I have read a number of articles that talked about that. That's a fallacy that there's, it's only uh, for, for youthful entrepreneurs that have this extra runway in their life that they can have a couple of failures in the, in the likelihood that their first entrepreneurial uh, venture isn't successful. What about, and, and I think the report was saying uh, on average, the most successful entrepreneurs were, were over 45. I think the sweet spot was around 47, 46. What do you think about older entrepreneurs and what they can offer? Do you, do you think that there's, there, there's something there that entrepreneurship is for everyone? including older entrepreneurs potentially as they reassess their life in particular with this new COVID environment, or is it really best suited, as you say, the, the risk to take that calculated risk when you're younger? What do you think? I'm, I'm not surprised with, with, uh, with what you say, what you read, because I don't think, I don't think age is a single factor here. Uh, I don't think uh, there's a, like a clear correlation between age and success. Uh, I think it's just what what step in your life you're at and what are your circumstances at, at that specific moment that allow you or not to take to, to, to make the leap, you know. Um, so uh, I, I'm sure there are lots of entrepreneurs who are uh, a, a little bit more, a little bit older and who have more experience under their belt. So probably that that does help to have more experience, a larger network. Uh, that's probably a plus on your uh, on your uh, on your entrepreneur uh, skill set, let's say. Uh, however, in my case, uh, based on my life plans and where I see myself in ten years, it, I just couldn't wait anymore. I was there, you know. It, it was the right time for me, and I felt it, and I just followed my intuition. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so you're a year into the 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 wallow. Uh, venture, which is, is it your first startup? And, you know, what was the story behind the creation of it? How did you come about the idea? You, you had said earlier that the, the idea was, was with you for a while before you took the leap. Can you mm -hmm. talk a little bit about the, the story behind the creation of Wallow and, you know, what's been happening in that, that last year? Uh, yeah, well, I'll actually go back a little bit uh, uh, further, not just the last year, but it, it's more like comes down to, to my life journey and, and my values as a person. It was something that that's really dear to me, you know, as, uh, as, as a woman who grew up, you know, in Morocco, uh, surrounded by very conservative, let's be honest, misogynistic society in Morocco, um, although I always felt like I could accomplish anything as a woman, uh, I, I thought that like there was lots of boundaries uh, that were set by society to us women. And I thought that I, I just had to move to a developed country and then there's no gender gap out there. So I was obviously being idealistic. So when I moved to France, Canada, you know, I realized that, you know, as a woman, you're carrying an invisible burden to always kind of try to work harder prove yourself more, you know, deal with unconscious bias. And uh, as the core of the problem, I think I've, I've, for me, I believe that one of the, 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 the things that plays a significant role in reinforcing this gender gap and, 
perpetuating it is it's really about financial power and money. So uh, I think uh, not only from the fact that I believe that we need to do more to, 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 to narrow the gender gap and to, to offer equal opportunity to, to anyone really. So uh, the, the, I, I had to do something about it. And from my personal experience as well, uh, I, I didn't have any, any financial education growing up. So I had to, to kind of learn the hard way. Um, and so it was a problem that I've experienced and that I've seen from, from both my, my, my travels, my readings, that it, is, it has an impact uh, on, on, on the gender gap, actually. And again, when we started our wallow journey, something we came across quite early uh, was when we were looking at market data, it, it showed the same thing, you know, uh, Can in, in Canadians, uh, in Canada, uh, there was a financial literacy test that, that, that was uh, uh, performed to, to, to a group of people. And you could see that uh, males succeeded more in that test. I think it was like 60% uh, of males uh, succeeded versus 50% uh, of women. So something like that. And you can see that the gender gap is even uh, there in Canada and uh, it, from the financial literacy perspective, uh, you know, it wasn't until, you know, it wasn't until 1965 that Canadian women were allowed to open a bank account without their husband's signature. That's crazy when you think about it. So yes, it has reduced uh, uh, significantly relative to the past, but there, were, there are lots of areas when work can be done to, to ensure uh, greater well-being, greater financial health for women. And I think that fintechs have the opportunity to, to empower women and have the opportunity to bridge that gap uh, in, in investment, retirement, uh, economic status overall. So uh, for me, it's, it's a way uh, to work on something that I'm passionate about while also knowing that I can have or at least aim to have an impact on a matter that's dear to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, did you say in 1965, uh, up until 1965, that women couldn't even open a bank account without a male signature in Canada? Yes, yes that's in Canada. That is ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I've not come across that um, that that stat before. We're going to have to quote that one out. That's that's just unheard of. And has has the gender gap, which we all are are aware to varying degrees, and you know some talk about well, you know men are more uh, gravitate towards more towards STEM related jobs, and and women more caring, supportive, communicated communication type jobs. When it comes to the gender gap, let, let's try to focus on, you know, Canada and our local experiences, but we'll, we'll apply it globally. You know, are we, are we, I, I see a lot of uh, groups and, and government support, but when I see the data, and I think there was a recent report that might have come out from EY, I believe, uh, it doesn't, the needle doesn't seem to be moving that much. I think we've made great strides in the last decade or so. But can you talk about the, the gender gap a, a little bit more or, and, and how we can tackle it as a, 
as, as a founder, as a, a change maker? Uh, is, it, is it really just, you know, information and uh, helping w women access more, more money will give them more power? What, what can we do? Um, so I think there, we can do many things at multiple levels. And I think we have to tackle this at multiple levels and in different ways. So co coming back to, to just the basics of, you know, financial education for kids, you know. So there was a, a, a study, I think it was, it was, it was a US, uh, UK study, though, but I, I couldn't find any, like, I was trying to find something in, in Canada or North America, there wasn't anything similar, but that US, uh, UK study uh, shows that the average boy makes twice more allowance per week than the average girl, and that, uh, you know, uh, most young girls uh, complete chores daily relative to occasional tasks for boys, and Boys are many times, you know, paid for personal hygiene tasks that women are not provided financial rewards for. So I think at, at the family level, at the educational level, we tend to reinforce those gender biases. And that's where the importance of a gender neutral financial education, the importance to empower little girls to, you know, to, 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 to let them believe in themselves and, uh, you know, pay them, have, give them an equal allowance as you'd give a boy for, for doing a chore. That's just as basic as this. And I think it's, it's unconscious. We need to make people aware of those kind of things uh, and act on it. So that's at, at a very, you know, basic educational family level. Um, then when, when thinking about, uh, you know, uh, fintechs, for example, you, you, you're very, very much aware that there are not many women in fintechs. I think uh, uh, they're like one, I think I read like an article recently that said that only 9% of the fintechs in Canada have at least one female founder or C-level executive. And then in terms of capital, that it's, it's even worse in, in terms of, of uh, you know, raising money. Um, there's another study that showed that only 3% of the capital invested in fintechs went to firms with female founders. So it's, it's quite raging for me to see those figures. And it's, it's not a surprise when you see that there are so, so many women in fintech uh, when you think of the predominance of male leadership in the financial world, the predominance of male leadership in tech, and the predominance of male leadership in investors. <laughs> um, it's hard for women to see themselves in those fields and to find, uh, you know, pe people to look up to, to find mentors who will help them navigate the course. And that's personally a challenge I had myself. Uh, just finding, you know, finding female mentors who went through the same uh, or a similar journey, you know, raising money for a Canadian FinTech, those kind of, of leadership figures, it's a challenge. So I think we are, people are more and more aware of these issues. We, you know, from now, now, from time to time, you read blogs, articles about this issue. There seems to be growing awareness and people trying to spread the message about the importance of diversity and the importance of uh, 
empowering women in those areas. Um, however, it's still, I think it's still not enough. It's still a lot of uh, uh, visibility and a lot of, um, uh, you know, uh, trying to make people aware of this versus actually taking some concrete uh, practical actions of putting money on the table for women or, you know, it, put, having more concrete measures that can be, uh, that can actually be measured and uh, have an impact either on the, the, on having more capital allocated to female founded fintechs or just having more women interested in fintech. Um, I think we have, we, we are making progress for sure, but we have a lots of, a lot to do, uh, lots of uh, challenges ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, in my experience, uh, women are much better than men at many, many areas, you know, not just marketing and uh, a whole host of uh, skill sets, this, this multitasking and our very busy lives these days. And, and a lot of the online fintech models are, are quite frankly, better suited to uh, being run by anyone. doesn't matter what gender, anyone that, that's able yeah. to handle some of those uh, cases and the workload and communicate effectively and, and connect in, in, in an EQ way uh, with mm -hmm. their, their staff and provide the, the vision for, for the future for company and uh, build a tremendous amount of, of value in, in doing so. You know, and, and of course, there's the diversity uh, point. If everyone is in the boys club and they're analyzing charts and trying to make a decision, but the information in their own biased experiences are the same, they're going to come up mm -hmm. with the same answer. You know, time exactly. and time again are becoming more uh, common. I, I know, you know, in New York, at the ARK Investments, um, they recently published uh, an interview and they were saying, well, how did you outperform, let's say 90% of the ETFs in North America? And, and really it became, uh, came down to diversity is, is their, their large message. And they have a, a very group of individuals all focusing on their areas. They're surely experts, but they're bringing that diversity in thought and thought and that's translating decisions. And it's, mm -hmm. it's very empowering when you quantify and measure and, and they're winning. So I lo love to hear it. Yeah, in, in the families and homes, in anyone who is providing and, and, and supporting greater allowance for, for boys for ridiculous tasks that they should be doing uh, should eradicate gender biases immediately. You gotta treat your kids fairly. Uh, we try, you know, I myself, I've got two kids. I try to do it my best. It's, it's always a, a challenge, but uh, absolutely hear you. So th this leads into the segue uh, around sort of financial education to me with, with the Wallow, the creation of the Wallow app. I mean, you're, you're obviously very passionate about solving this, this gap and, and, and it's around financial literacy and what has happened. I'll, and I'll tell you one short an anecdote because I mentioned that, you know, I have two kids. I got uh, my son, he's in public school here in Ontario and they don't even in the curriculum have kids memorize. This is not financial literacy, but it's a very simple example, rudimentary example. They don't have kids memorize the times tables anymore. You know, one times one is one, one times two is two, one times three is three. And what that's actually done 
is when you go to the cashier and check out and you need simple math to calculate how much change am I getting back or, you know, they're all relying on the cash register and they're using their fingers because they have not been required by the curriculum. When we went to school, you at least had to remember the times table. And, you know, if this is a message to anyone in the Ministry of, of Finance uh, here in Ontario, Stephen Leachy or, or Premier Ford, you got to put the times table memorization, probably <laughs> not just 12 by 12, go all the way up to 14 by 14 on the curriculum. Because if I see my son counting one more time on his hands for a simple math problem <laughs> in our daily life, it's, it's, it's just mind boggling. So where is financial literacy? And I'm talking small business financial literacy. I'm talking personal finance uh, literacy, wherever you want to focus. Where is, are, are we in Canada? Uh, I, I'm waiting to hear the tsunami of a gap. What, what is going on? Can you illuminate? Can you educate us on this? Yeah, that, that's a very fun anecdote. I, I'm very surprised that they don't teach uh, <laughs> those tables anymore. Oh, it's um, just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, although I think that, uh, I think I've heard uh, a couple of months ago that uh, Ontario Premier has, uh, ha there was some, some change in policy in, uh, in ed the education curriculum and now they're going to have financial education, I think. In school, so that's that's good news for Ontario, <laughs> because uh, you know that until until now, like until uh, until that announcement, there's was no financial education at school at all, you know, in Canada, and there is still none outside of of Ontario. Um, and I think right now, uh, well, I think there are two things. Um, there is first the first thing is you know. Why is it important? Why is financial education important? Well, you just have to look at the financial health of Canadians right now. And the, the fact that uh, they are very, very leveraged. Like if you think of the, the, the debt to, to income ratio, uh, Canadians owe in average uh, $1.78 for each dollar of net income. So income after tax tax so uh, it's 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 uh it's it's a very high ratio when you compare it to to other countries even to the u.s to countries in europe it's a very high ratio and i'm going to tell you a story because when 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 i came to uh when i uh moved to canada it was i had i had a cultural shock about that because i was seeing that my canadian friends were we're, we're using credit cards basically to buy, to buy everything. They were using credit cards. And at, at the beginning, I didn't understand. I was like, why are you using money that you don't have and then paying, paying a, a bill at the end of the month? Why don't you just use the money you have in your, in your bank account? Obviously, coming from you know, uh, Morocco, European background, credit cards are not a thing there. Like Credit cards are viewed as as the devil, you know, debt is viewed as the devil, consumption debt more particular. So we, back in France, you know, all your Visa and MasterCards are debit cards, you know? Uh, so initially I didn't understand. I was like, obviously some of them were like, oh, I get, I get points for my, for my purchases. So why not just use a, a credit card? And then others, well, I understood uh, that you kind of have to have 
a credit card to build your credit score. <laughs> uh, if you want to eventually buy a house or, uh, you know, invest. So uh, it, it was like this cultural shock made me think uh, of, you know, why uh, there is such a disparity of uh, indebtedness, you know, between between uh, Canada and U.S. in general and the rest of the world, well, rest of the world, Europe, where I was coming from. Uh, and it comes down to our attitude towards money, you know, uh, our attitude towards consumption and uh, uh, our attitude towards uh, saving, risk-taking, and investing. Uh, and, and those attitudes vary by geography. You can tell that in France, for example, uh, people tend to save a lot of money because they're quite risk-averse and they don't invest it. So they just put it in like a very low interest savings account, but they don't invest. So that, that's, that's an issue in France. Some, some fintechs, by the way, are trying to tackle. Uh, versus in Canada, you can see that people don't save enough. <laughs> for example, they don't save enough for retirement uh, and they take on debt uh, to, they take on maybe a little bit too much debt for consumption versus, uh, versus let's say healthy debt for, to, buy, to buy a house or to, to invest, let's say. Uh, so, and, and all these attitudes all come down to the habits we build when growing up, the cultural setting, uh, and also our financial literacy. And our financial literacy, financial literacy for me, it's defined just like actually the government of Canada has, a put, has put a definition of financial literacy. And it's not, financial literacy is not only uh, knowing what are RESPs and knowing what are uh, well, what is investing, what are stocks, etc. It's not just the knowledge. It's the knowledge, but also the skills to be able to apply that knowledge. And then the third component, which sometimes it's, it is forgotten, it's, it's the confidence to actually take that knowledge, use your skills, and make the right decisions to influence positively your, your financial health. So, uh, when you don't have these three components, knowledge, skills, and confidence, you're not on the right track to making the best decisions to optimize your financial health. And I think the, those three components, you can't just, uh, you know, they're not, uh, let's say, they're, they're not natural to, to just learn, you know, they're not natural to acquire. Someone has to teach you. <laughs> And if no one teaches you, either you end up learning the hard way or you end up uh, doing the same mistakes over and over again until you hit a wall. Uh, that's why I think, I think it's, it's a very long explanation of why financial education is important. But I think it's, 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 it's really important to kind of understand what's behind it and why uh, each, each component of it is necessary for each individual to optimize his financial health and be able to take to make the right decisions and advance and advance in life. So, mm. uh, yeah, you wanted to say something? No, I'm 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 taking some notes here. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I'll let you finish that point, then I'm going to come back at you. Yeah. So 
just just I'm gonna finish on on, on this very uh, um, last thing. Basically, the the um, the uh, what we are putting on the table with Wallow is that we need to bring financial literacy early in people's lives because those habits, that knowledge, skills, and confidence uh, are can be gained early or if you miss the train, you end up making mistakes because you can't, you know, change your habits. Uh, it's easier to, 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 to get the right habits from day one versus trying to change your habits uh, later when you're 30 or when you're 40 and or when you're closer to retirement. Might as well uh, get that education early on and be ready to face, face life, face your financial life. It's a scary life. <laughs> so I, I, I yeah the, I mean the, the pitch is if you want to be happy and once you get married and kids and have a financially sound life a happy life you got to do those four things and, and that's got to boost your confidence and you know with Wallow app you're, you're going to learn it from very early on but the, the one thing I wanted to come back to you on was you mentioned consumption savings risk-taking and investing which are sort of four tenets to I guess the, the foundation, if you had those things in check to, uh, uh, you know, the opportunity to have the confidence to make the right decision. Mm -hmm. In Canada, let's say compared, we have to compare and contrast with a country, I guess America, because we're probably a lot more similar to uh, the American behavior than, let's say, Moroccan mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, my original heritage, Japanese, which I, I know they're great savers maybe way better than Canada. What, from consumption, let's go through those four. Is Canada uh, better or worse? Like consumption, who's consuming more, Canada or, or Americans? And, and where, where's the right balance? Uh, that, that, that's, a, that's a good question to which I'm not sure I have, I have an answer. Um, honestly, I think when, when it comes down to, I'm gonna come back to the, 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 the debt to income ratio. Uh, I believe Canadians are have a higher ratio. So uh, at least in terms of consumption debt, uh, I, 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 what, what I tend to say based on that ratio is that Canadians have a higher ratio. So uh, compared to Americans, they're either either Canadians are taking more debt to buy more houses, or they're taking more debt to buy more stuff. Uh, so I can't I can't say for sure, but uh, that's that's the only fact fact I have on that on this question. So so for example, you you hear about because of COVID the road to recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, I know Ray Dalio had an article the other day that American consumption is a big reason why it's a world power and it's very powerful. Mm -hmm. But if they're unable to consume uh at the same rate and their productivity is declining it's it's a negative impact to the economy but i i guess we'll we'll simplify the question in canada do you think we should consume more or consume less canadians oh so uh, that's that's a great question for an economist <laughs> which i'm not but uh i think from i'll take it down to an individual perspective you know for for a person consumption I think needs to be taken down into basic level, which is wants versus needs, you know? So we tend to say you consume first for your, for your needs and before consuming 
uh, for your wants. And before consuming at all, you save, you pay yourself first. That's the kind of one, one of the, the key rules, let's say, that we're trying to teach kids, for example, when we're teaching them about, about uh, financial literacy. So going back to your, your question, should we consume more or less? We probably should consume less of things we want but don't need and save that money or invest it. Mm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, it's, an, it's a formula, really. They're, they're not uh, independent, those four mm -hmm. tenets. And uh, I, I see I see where you're going and, with and, that. And maybe, if I may add, one of the things that the pandemic has show, shown us is, is that lots of people were living, lots of people in Canada were living paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. And that's an indication that they didn't have an emergency fund. They didn't have, you know, an extra cushion, which means they didn't save it, which means they probably consumed that money instead of saving it. So it's another way to see it. But there are some, you know, basic financial literacy rules, or let's say some basic financial soundness rules. Uh, and there are not a hundred of them. They're probably, if you try to, to put them on a list, maybe 10 rules or something like that. And that, that, can, that, to, that you can take today as a Canadian and make your financial health better. Uh, and those steps include, for example, having an emergency fund, you know, uh, or, uh, or at least, you know, saving some, some money that, that saving at least some money early on, you know, starting early, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Instead of looking at all those, those COVID mask posters, we need some financial, <laughs> get your finances in order posters, right? everywhere and <laughs> people will start to get yeah. the message well actually it's it's a the, the pandemic is is a well uh, i was gonna say it's a great opportunity but i mean in every bad thing there's something good so let's take take the opportunity to pause and have a look you know take a picture of our finances and say what can i do better you know how can i prepare for the next you know for, for the next hardship so uh, yeah, I just let you move on to your next question. I mm -hmm. feel like I'm, I'm, I'm going way over <laughs> what you <laughs> no, asked well, initially. I, I think it's interesting. It's at the core of the psychology and uh, I guess in day-to-day -day life, there are gaps. People have a busy life, they get on and uh, you, you, if you don't map it out and plan for it, everybody's in for a rude awakening when they retire. And it's not certainly what, what they might have expected. And life throws a lot of curveballs. So the, the help of an app like, like Wallow. So let's, let's get into the app. Let's get into the vision for, for Wallow and um, this, this idea. Like who, who is your target market? And, you know, how does the app work? How do you, it can, is it available right now for download? Yeah. So uh, right now it's available in, uh, in the app stores and uh, in the app store and Google Play. It's in beta. Uh, in terms of our uh, of our target market, it's uh, basically we, we talk to parents. We talk to parents uh, and tell them, uh, use this, don't change your habits, and teach your kids about money on the go, you know, using allowances. Like, uh, and uh, uh, in terms of our, 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 our vision and uh, what, wh how we're seeing this, uh, uh, going in the future, it's really around financial wellness for families. Uh, and this goes hand in hand with the kids' education, you know. 
educating kids uh, to, to, to about financial services and getting them to, to actually understand that money does not grow on trees, understand the basic concepts of saving, spending, uh, earning your own money, and then all, all the, the economic environment around us, what are the tools that exist uh, that we can use to improve uh, our, our situation, et cetera. Uh, and the, the way, uh, the way we're, we're thinking about this is it's really an app that we're making available for anyone. It's, it's, it's on a freemium model. The app is, is free. And, and the way we're thinking about it as well in terms of our business model is, is that we're looking to partner with financial institutions to distribute it even uh, to, to larger masses and uh, have it available to, to, to their, their customers, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I know that uh, my, my, I went into RBC Branch. This is a physical brick mm-hmm. and mortar. And this was when my kids were much younger. And guy runs out and he's like, oh, great, you have kids. And he immediately handed over an RBC piggy bank mm-hmm. <laughs> with their, their brand. And, and your apps basically, see, those banks want to connect into early customers, their they're teenagers or in our, our case, kids. And I mean, is this a whole growing sector, this uh, centennial, millennial? Is it, I, I, I think some might call it teen banking sector. Mm-hmm. What, is, it, is it growing? Is there a name for it? Or is this mostly around family financial literacy? Or is it really the empowerment of teens to help them save and learn about their risk profile and mm-hmm. uh, understand how the trade-offs between that consumption and investing could work for for them today as well as by the time they retire yeah it's it's actually uh, you're right it's, it's actually a thing it's uh it's it's a market that we can call some people call it teen banking and it's 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 clearly a a growing market it's a growing market and you can look at it right now actually the the, 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 the market, like the, the biggest, uh, let's say, player in this market is in the U.S. and has just raised around at a 1.2 billion valuation. So there's clearly something going on there. It's actually a clear case study uh, you could see in business school about, you know, a market maturity life cycle where we're in the growing stage. You know, there's growing competition, increasing number of players. Uh, last time I, I checked, I think they're over... Uh, approximately like 40, 40, 40 startups, 40 fintechs around the world working on, on this, uh, on, on this, uh, on this problem. And some of them are, are in the scaling stage. There's no, no clear winners yet. No, we're not at the profitability stage yet. Uh, you can tell clearly that Europe, US uh, are, are, are the leaders there. Like uh, I'd say probably one third of the companies worldwide are in the U.S., another third in Europe, and then the rest a little bit all over the world, some in Asia Pacific, um, et cetera. And however, in Canada, we're a little bit earlier as usual <laughs> in terms of the market maturity. So uh, let's say there are a couple of players entering the market in, mar- in, in, in Canada, and I think in Canada, it's a, it's a, it's a win-it-all market. Uh, I think it's going to be... One, one market leader, hopefully it's going to be us. Uh, just like, uh, just like, you know, uh, the fact that, you know, Canada is, is quite a small market uh, compared to the U.S. or other areas in Europe where 
uh, you could obviously uh, uh, actually players in Europe could distribute their product everywhere because uh, because of uh, you know the, the the regulation that allows them to do that. Although it, it's not it's not the case here, uh, obviously in Canada. Uh, and I think in terms of of uh, of the market, the way the reason why it's a growing market, uh, it's just because there's a huge opportunity. You know, twenty five percent of North America, if you look just here where we are in the world, are under twenty years old, and those people's needs are are unmet. Those are actually young people are uh, are are uh, you know they they, they are unbanked, underbanked usually. You know, um, and uh, in particular, when, when you look at, at, at Gen Z, they're a very demanding generation. They have very high expectations. Uh, they're used to the, the I want it now, uh, the, the Uberization. They're used to, they're, they're born with a, with a smartphone in their hands. So they have a lot of traits and needs that simply are not currently met by incumbent financial institutions. That's why there's a place to take in the market and you can see so many players popping up around the world. Uh, and it's, it's actually a good thing because, uh, uh, you know, gr growing competition for us is a good sign. It means there's a need. Mm -hmm. Why aren't the banks and the FIs doing more for this very early stage incubating type customer? And is it, is it the underbank? Like, where are the underbank caps in Canada that you're you're talking about? So, I think from a, from what I've seen in Canada, there are, there there are two categories that that can be considered underbanked, at least from what I've seen. You know, there's a uh, uh, the, the 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 youth the youth segment, and then there's also the the immigrant segment or the, the newcomers newcomer segment, uh, and. Uh, it happens that those two underbanked categories, as a matter of fact, are almost the only growing segments in personal banking for the next couple of years. Um, and I think banks know that. I mean, they're not, uh, uh, they, 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 they know that there are growth potentials, both in newcomers and, uh, and the youth segment. But I, I think Having worked at a bank, I know how how uh, there are a lots of priorities to tackle at once. In fact, there are lots of uh, table stakes that are still not there in 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 banking. Uh, some some financial institutions are still, let's say, trying to catch up in 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 terms of their customer experience. Just let's take the most basic example: you know, opening a bank account online like a couple, like a year ago, it wasn't, it's probably wasn't possible in any bank, like doing it from end to end online. A year ago, it wasn't possible in any bank. Right now you can see that a couple of banks are allowing that. COVID has certainly helped accelerate that. So I think banks have so many priorities to tackle. They have so many things on their, on their plate that for example, if we think specifically about the youth segment, yes, it's a priority, but we're not going to say see your ROI on 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 your on investing in the youth segment right away because they're not the ones that 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 have a, 
let's say, that's going to make you the most money. They're not the one buying houses and making a lot of, lot of investments. So it's a long-term game. I think that's, that's, my, that's my view on why, you know, banks are not, uh, you know, very active or very well involved in, 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 uh, in, this, uh, in this area. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be good for you. They're going to have to buy it off of you or partner with you for a bunch of money. So, uh, but we've heard that that story time and time again. The incumbents, if they, they deprioritize some some areas, and uh, I can think in in the small business uh, innovation for capital market side, uh, on some of the other opportunities, we've always advocated that some of these new innovative funding models should be backed by government and incumbents and, and more support partnerships. Okay. And they're, they're because that they're strengthening the feeder systems and plugging early stage gaps. And overall, it makes the economy uh, from, from jobs to economic GDP better, stronger. And so I think what you're doing is filling in a, a, a need, which, which is obvious, whether it's youth immigrants or families that are a bit off the rails and there's, there's partnership opportunities with government and those banks should be the first one one there. And um, I, I can think of a, a whole number of innovative credit units that are popping up that would probably be, uh, you know, open to, to talking about, let's, let's take an app like this and try it and test it out. And, and let's see what the results are and create some measured indexes. And, and I'd, I'd be very uh, happy to make those introductions. So what, what, what do you think, is, is next for Wallow. You're, you're in the app store. This is a growing area. You've got a, you know, in the U.S., you've mm-hmm. got a unicorn overnight in, in this enormous area. It's incredibly mm-hmm. important during COVID times. Um, what, what, what are the biggest opportunities for, for Wallow and, and how are you going after them? So uh, the way we have thought of our, our go-to-market is, is, is really different from what we've seen our competitors doing, trying really to grow B2C, purely B2C. Uh, in Canada, it's quite hard. Cost of customer acquisition on the B2C side is, 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 is quite high. You need a lot of funding to do so. Uh, fintechs are, 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 early stage fintechs are easy to fund in, uh, are, are, sorry, are hard to fund in Canada. So basically our go-to market really focuses on uh, you know, piggybacking uh, onto existing consumer bases, which are financial institutions. So, our, our, our really, our next, uh, the, the next, uh, the next months for us are really focused on business development with those financial institutions and uh, cl- closing closing agreements and uh, you know um, partnerships with them in order to distribute our solution. Um, and I think, in terms of opportunity, it's it's not only about the financial literacy Wallow app, really. It's the whole uh, adjacent products and adjacent value proposition that, that can get um, added and uh, can become complementary to what we put on the table. And I'm thinking about the whole financial wellness environment for families and uh, getting into getting getting uh, uh, this product this wallow app product into a family is just the first step into, uh, to, to, to kind of spark the money conversation and uh, bring financial literacy 
to, to the family environment and empower families to take responsibility for their finances. So I think it's really around building that, that ecosystem of financial wellness for families. That's where, for me, the opportunity lies in the future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's great. I mean, who doesn't need a financial wellness AI assistant on there saying, <laughs> don't do it, <laughs> save your money. Uh, this is how your life will be impacted by 0.7 if you do it. So, uh, you, you know, you got to yeah, talk, talk to the Google assistants uh, or, or Alexa teams. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating area. I'd love to uh, continue to track it, but I just looked at the time where we, we have, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's basically, we, we burned through our time here. So I, I, what I'm going to do to end this, we're going to jump right to the speed round of questions uh, where, you know, I asked some quest short, short questions and we're looking for quick witty responses. You could pass if you want. We just want to end things on a, on a fun, uh, fun manner. So if you're sure. up for that, uh, are, you, are you ready to, to get into speed round questions? Yes, let's do it. So, uh, okay, let's go. Tick tock, tick tock. Uh, first one, are you more of a hunter or a gatherer? Oh, I'm definitely a gatherer. Uh, I, I like to to uh, to kind of analyze my my environment and take 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 the low hanging fruits and eventually grow on that and you know go on a step by step uh, basis to, uh, to 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 build something you know. Mm -hmm. Build or gather. Okay, so next question: What is the funniest thing that has happened to you recently? <laughs> um, funniest thing. Oh, uh, not not very not very funny, but yeah, I was I was supposed to move to Montreal uh, like this month, uh, but things are just canceled because of the new uh, restrictions. So <laughs> I have to postpone that. Not not very funny, but yeah. That that's funny in an awkward way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so next question: If if you met a genie in a bottle who's going to grant you let's say one, two, three wishes, what would, or grant you one wish, what would that one wish be? Uh, it's, uh, it would be a really uh, about empowering uh, women back in my country to kind of take, take their life into control and, you know, get more education and, you know, get out, get out of the, 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 the male dominant society back in Morocco. So it's really around empowering women uh, where in a place where they, they, they really do need it. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So uh, you, you, you surely have changed a lot since you've taken the leap to entrepreneurship. Is there any advice that you'd give yourself looking back? Um, let's say as far as when you were living back in Morocco or when you were a consultant at Desjardins. So uh, I, I would really say just don't wait just make the leap early. I, I'd say really, I, I should have started earlier <laughs> and failed faster and failed earlier so that, you know, I could have probably learned a lot uh, and not have waited until now to kind of get started in this. Probably just, you know, make the leap without necessarily leaving your job or just take that extra time, the extra free time, and, you know, become an entrepreneur, a part-time entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Part-time entrepreneurship is, is like spinning wheels in some way. 
Um, okay, last uh, speed round question. You have a 30 second pitch to a leading VC on why the opportunity is unique. What is it? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll just change it not to a VC, but to a financial institution. Yep. <laughs> I'd say it's, it's really time to change family ba banking and bring real value to families beyond just the financial product you're offering them. Bring them something they really care about. And what do you think parents care about if not their kids, their kids' future and their kids' success? Give parents the power to help their kids become successful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. Okay, well, there you have it. Um, we're we're going to move to wrap up the podcast here, but I just want to give you an opportunity to say any last parting messages that you'd, you'd like to offer the FinTech Fridays listening audience. Uh, well, I just wanted to, to thank you for this, Greg, and um, I wish everyone has a great weekend and stay safe. That's right. Okay, everyone. Well, that's uh, a wrap, folks. Uh, on behalf of the FinTech Fridays podcast, we'd like to thank Rim Turkani for joining us on the show. I had, uh, I had a great time. I learned a ton about this related model of a uh, of financial healthy uh, future. And let's be honest, we all should have started earlier. So if, if we haven't started yet or kids haven't started yet, let's recommend them to download the app and uh, any feedback, any ideas, any, any, any partnerships, uh, get them over to, to RIM and, and let's develop and define and, and, and hope for a better future. So before you go, RIM, can you tell the audience how to get in touch with you? They want to learn more or introduce you to a financial institution or simply connect with you and support you on your journey? Uh, just uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's the best way to, to get a hold of me. Right. Okay. Well, we're going to have your LinkedIn link on the show notes. Um, and if, if anyone has any questions about Wallow, want to connect with Rim, uh, check out our LinkedIn profile and the information on the show notes. So thanks very much for joining us for episode 42 with Rim Charkani, the CEO and co-founder of Wallow. If you're new to FinTech Fridays, please check out some of the incredible past episodes on the site. You'll be surprised what you find. We look forward to seeing you next Friday for another episode of FinTech Fridays. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to FinTech Fridays, brought to you by NCFA and Partners. Tune in weekly for the latest FinTech Friday podcast by subscribing to this channel. The National Crowdfunding and FinTech Association of Canada is a nonprofit actively engaged with social and investment FinTech sectors around the globe and provides education, research, industry stewardship, services, and networking opportunities to thousands of members and subscribers. For more information, please visit ncfacanada.org. Oh yeah!